Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. We also have uh, the Highway to Wholeness is coming up very, very soon, uh, in, in just a few weeks from now. And uh, I had an opportunity to uh, talk to someone who was following us online uh, over the summer as we were doing our Winning the War Within series. And so I uh, have just a, a testimony that I want to show you guys uh, to encourage you. If you're considering going, I think it'll be great. So. She, uh, she's been following our live stream. We were doing the series Winning the War Within over the summer, and I just wanted to give her a moment to share a bit of a testimony. So, uh, Dina, can you just share uh, some of the uh, issues that you were struggling with and uh, what God did for you? Well, uh, thanks so much for letting me share uh, today. I have like, there's so much that's happened. I don't even really know where to start, but in, uh, in a nutshell, I guess, uh, would be the last 15 years have been an upward battle with uh, food allergies, chemical sensitivity, um, thyroid condition, chronic fatigue, migraine headaches, ringing in my ears, a lot of different things. Doctors couldn't figure it out. I went to a lot of different appointments and practitioners and mainstream and alternative and whoever really was able to help me um, along the way. And it just kind of kept getting worse. I don't know. There were some things that helped, uh, but the amount of things I was doing and how well I was eating and the things that I was avoiding because they weren't benefiting my body I really should have been feeling better and uh, had more energy, things like that. And so I don't really understand it at the time because I was trusting God. I was asking God for help every day. Uh, I had my heart soft towards God. I asked him to, to lead me and I would pray about every appointment or every decision I was making. And, you know, God, is this the thing now? And how do you want to use this? And maybe you want me to meet with this doctor because they need to know Jesus and, you know, just different opportunities that came up and uh, just asking God to work it out for my good. Uh, and that's all good. God does work it for our good, but I was just very sick. still. So frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Lots of food allergies started with gluten, then gluten, dairy, soy, sugar, grains, eggs, nightshades, no tomatoes, no peppers. So there was, I pretty much couldn't eat anything from a package. I had to make everything myself from scratch. Um, And even like some spices and stuff would have certain things in it. And uh, yeah, it got really complicated and very frustrating. And my kids had food allergies too, both both my children. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had to make like three different meals because we had all types of different allergies. And uh, it, it was, it was difficult. Yeah. You, got, you got skin rashes as well you said oh man yes i, <laughs> I have a picture too if you guys uh, want to see that but uh it was bad yeah there was a time actually that when you see that picture that lasted um about six months and every day it was like that some days it'd be like really red and then some days not quite as red 
but um, painful, painful. And they couldn't really explain it. I went to a lot of different doctors at that time too. And I was on the diet that I knew was helping my body before, but my body was still having a hard time. And uh, people at work, <laughs> people at work would say, what's going on with your face? And I'd be like, what is going on with your face? Because <laughs> it was not something that I even had the opportunity to talk about or, you know, I was, and I kept positive the whole time and I was trusting God the whole time. I didn't have a hard heart about it. And uh, I really was trusting God for his will for my life. Mm, that's awesome. So, and uh, so it affected, you had a thyroid condition as well, right? Thyroid condition. Yep. And, uh, and then I had some problems, pretty severe problems with my adrenal glands. I saw a doctor in London who was helping me figure that out, okay. London, Ontario. And, uh, and that's like a three hour drive and it was worth it because I was getting some answers from someone finally. Awesome. Um, but yeah, that was a big, big thing. Thyroid, a uh, lot of, a lot of issues uh, I couldn't get through the day without a nap, like painfully, my body would just start shutting down. And even my, my daughter who was like <laughs> trashing the house, I couldn't even have the energy to get up and stop her because my body was just shutting down. Wow. And so you followed us online, uh, you yes. summer winning the war within, which is kind of like a taste of the highway of wholeness. Yes. And so, Love how, the so how did that help you? What happened? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I got connected through, um, Terry and Kathy are good friends of ours and they connected us, introduced us first to you guys. And then Camilla introduced me to Anita and Allison, and they had some similar, um, food allergy struggle suffering journey that I could relate to. And they uh, just kind of encouraged me with, with uh, going to the Lord about that and praying into uh, fear that often is associated with the food allergies. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started doing that and I was seeing such breakthrough watching the uh, series that you guys were doing. Uh, it gave me a lot of like practical um, and spiritual tools to implement uh, things that God was showing me that I didn't really know what what what's next. How do I how do I make this happen? How do I apply it to my life? And that's kind of where uh, this huge breakthrough came in, and I can't even contain the joy. It is just amazing yeah. when you spoke to me before you had told me uh that the, the teaching on self-pity and yes. fear and the few other really ministered to you so tell me how are you doing now with your health oh my goodness amazing amazing i <laughs> i'm eating anything which can be dangerous of course um and i'm, I'm asking god like okay lord don't let me get carried away because i still I know my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and I'm asking God, like, help me still choose good food because I am feel fabulous no matter what I eat, no matter what I do. Awesome. Um, and it's very exciting. And my children, my children have been healed as well. So we yeah. all eat the same food now. And uh, I do much less dishes with making one meal instead of three different meals. Yeah. Um, and it's just amazing to see like all of the areas that the enemy was stealing from that I didn't even 
know he was stealing from them because it was just I got I gotten used to everything and I I just I didn't recognize it and that's a big I think that's a big thing about how God says not to be unaware of the devil's schemes because yeah. you don't know about them and you're not hearing that specific teaching sometimes you don't even realize those things that need to be addressed you're like oh wow self-pity is a thing yeah. wow I didn't know that and repenting from that and and asking God to show me those things is like opened up my everything. I don't even have a, like a, a migraine headache or a stomach ache. My skin has been totally healed. Oh, All yeah. my eczema has gone, everything. Oh, praise yeah, God. And the thyroid condition's doing better? Thyroid, yes. I go every day. I don't even need a nap. It is like, I can't even believe it. It's oh. so wonderful. So what would you um, say, Dina, to people who maybe are wondering, should I go to the highway to wholeness or not? What would you say to them? I would say, yes, absolutely. You want to be there. If you can possibly make it, even if there's some kind of like online option, I would encourage you just make sure you hear it and uh, make arrangements now because it, it's totally worth it. And if I knew what I know now, so many years ago, even life would have been so different because God really wants us to be, uh, be equipped and, and to live that free life that he promises, right? Awesome. awesome. You guys are awesome. Awesome. Thank, well, thank, thank you so much, Dina. Uh, God bless you and your family. And uh, and also you've turned people on to the uh, the uh, series online. I know people are watching from uh, some of yes, your- Yes, I've been sharing it with anyone who will listen because it is amazing to see what God's doing in, uh, in what you guys, the work you guys are doing and what you're allowing God to do in and through you. Powerful. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dina. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you guys. Bye. Bye. Amen. Isn't that good? Isn't God good? Awesome. Well, I know that was a few minutes, but I, I think it's important that we take time uh, to give testimony to the goodness of God in our lives. And of course, so next Sunday will be the deadline for signing up if you want to go through it, because we, we like to have a couple weeks to just bathe people in prayer and get prepared for the course. Uh, so if you're interested and you have faith to uh, be healed or to just learn, because ultimately God wants you to, to prosper and be in health, so you want to prevent disease as well. So you want to know how the enemy works. So this is good. So, Father, we thank you for your word today, Lord. We thank you, God, that you're going to speak to our hearts and change our lives as you always do every time we read your word. We thank you for it. And all God's people said, amen. Awesome. So I want to start this morning. Uh, the title of my message is Know the Season. And I think it's very important we live in a time that the church needs to be awakened to the season uh, that we are in, okay? We're in a specific season, and we're going to look from Scripture, uh, where the season that we're in. In the last 18 months, we have, uh, we've seen the, uh, the establishment of the fourth and final kingdom prophesied in Scripture, okay? We're seeing the establishment, not the established, but it's being established, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to show you from Scripture where we're at in Scripture or in history, okay? We are told we are fighting an invisible enemy. How many have heard that? On, we hear that in the news. We're fighting an invisible enemy. We're fighting a virus. Now, understand that there's some truth to that, but the truth is this. We are fighting an invisible enemy. The God of this world, Satan, is our enemy. Amen? The virus and the fear and everything else that comes along with that is actually a weapon that the devil is using to cause fear and shame and guilt and everything associated with that, okay? 
And I could spend time talking about those who are in the employment of the devil that work for him, and I'm not going to do that this morning. Uh, uh, those who want to bring about a great reset. But in these next few moments, I want to cover the basic agenda of the enemy. I want to talk about his strategy, his end game, because I think it's important we know, and we go back to the scripture and confirm that that's what's happening, okay? And so I want you to understand something here, and that is this, that Satan, right, is the god of this world. He is the god of this world, small g, of course. And to be a god basically means you are a ruler, okay? So if you're a god, you have authority, you rule, and you reign. And when God created Adam and Eve, he made him god over this earth. So Adam was the god of this earth with a small g. He was to rule and to reign in the earth realm. And when Adam sinned, the contract was broken, and Satan suddenly had ownership and had an ability to influence in the earth. And we all know that. We understand that's why we needed to get saved, right? And from the time that Satan, um, from that time, Satan tried to rule vicariously through leadership. And that's what he does. He likes to get into places where he can affect even ruler leaders. Why? Because he has an end game, and that is to bring about the one world government and the Antichrist, ultimately, and we know the scripture prophesies that, and we see that beginning to be established in our eyes. Now, the good news is that Jesus broke the power of Satan's control over our lives. If you give your heart to Christ and you surrender your life to Jesus, that power is broken, okay? In Colossians chapter 1, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is the good news, is that if you were saved, we've been purchased. Our freedom has been purchased. Amen. Okay? This is the kingdom that we live in now. So I want you to know, as, as a person, I'm free from the kingdom culture of Satan. And you should be free from his kingdom and his culture as well. Because his kingdom is ruled by fear and accusation, all of these things we see happening around the world, that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. Amen? Amen. So we have to determine in our heart what kingdom we're part of and how we're going to function. Now, we see in Galatians chapter 4, verse 5, God sent him, being Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Daddy God, Father God. Now, you're no longer slaves, but you're God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. What a beautiful promise. We see in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only... As a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So I want you to understand something, is that we cannot be afraid of death. And, and, and the thing is, if you're afraid of death, you need to either get saved or you know, get back on fire with Jesus, right? We should not fear death because death for the believer is like shutting your eyes and opening your eyes in glory. There's no fear in death. God wants us as his church to not fear death. The rest of the world can fear death. 
But we shouldn't fear death. Because Jesus Christ has broken the power of the fear of death. And, I, and I'm saying that to those even here in this house, in this room, those who are following us on live stream. You do not have to fear death. You can live in, in faith and in confidence that even if you were to die, you're going to live forever with God. Amen. That's a beautiful promise. All right? And understand, okay, that I'm not against precautions and protocols that make sense, okay? So if, if we go into a, a place, maybe there's people with compromised immune systems or th there's elderly, and it makes sense. Wash your hands, wear a mask, give people a bit of dis. I'm not against that, okay? Because there's wisdom. We want to care for people, amen? So I'm not, I'm not because there's wisdom. And actually, Paul said... Okay, Paul said that there's sickness that's common to man. He was talking to Timothy, and he said to Timothy, his son in the faith, he said, listen, you know, don't just drink water. Drink a little wine for your stomach's sake, because you obviously have some stomach issues. There's some infirmities. And so the common cold, the flu virus, these are common to man. They come and they go. They strengthen our natural immune system. They're common, right? And so Paul says these things are common. So I'm not out to say that these things aren't common, right? But what I am against is is the fear that the enemy wants to put on the church. We cannot live in fear because that's the end time strategy of the devil. Amen? Am I preaching okay? All right. Because in Luke chapter 21, verse 26, it says, and this is an end time passage, Jesus says here, men's hearts will be failing them from fear of the expectation of things which are coming on the earth. And, and so people are so afraid of what's coming next and there's going to be a new variant or there's going to be an economic collapse or, you know, there's going to be a war, uh, be, you know, a, third, a fourth world war. And it's like fear of what's coming upon the earth. Men's hearts begin to fail. And we're not to be that. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Amen? And so, with, with all the shaking going on, we must remember our role. Our role is very, very important in this hour. Our role is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. And God says, so we are, and Paul is speaking here, he says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. All right? And, and that is our, our mandate. An ambassador is one who acts as a representative for a kingdom that goes in and says, hey, this is what the kingdom represents. This is what the king's about. This is what the culture of the kingdom is. And God has called us to bring the kingdom of God, which is love, faith, hope, and joy to hurting and dying world. And the kingdom of this age... Is fear right now, control, accusation, rejection, and it's permeating everywhere. And God wants us to be above it. He wants us to be ambassadors. He wants us to trust Him in this season. We say, well, I'm an underdog. You don't understand. God can't use me as an ambassador. Listen, God loves underdogs. Man, I love reading about Gideon who says, hey, God, are you sure you want to use me? I'm the least of my tribes. I mean, my family is like, they're nobodies. And God says, you're the man. 
And David is part of a family that when the prophet comes and says to Jesse, listen, one of your sons, God is anointing as king today. And he just says, okay, it's obviously not David, so I won't even invite him. He's the youngest. We'll just push him aside. And, and the prophet comes and goes, there's someone missing. See, God chooses the underdog. He chooses the one that nobody else thinks can be used. God uses them. Isn't that powerful? And, you know, the, the uneducated and unskilled fishermen and tax collectors brought the gospel and turned the world upside down. They were shocked. Who are these uneducated men who have come and shaken the world? God uses the underdog. So if you're an underdog, you qualify. God doesn't, he uses the foolish things of this world. I thank God that I'm a fool some days. Right? But today what I want to do is take a few minutes uh, to just look at a prophetic timeline and try to paint a picture for you where we are at. I think it's important we do that. Let's go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, verse 2 to 6. And so there's a situation here uh, where King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And I'm just going to summarize what, what takes place in this situation. He has a dream, and then he calls all of his wise men, his sorcerers, his astrologers, those that he was getting guidance from. And he said, I need you guys to come and interpret a dream that I had. I need to know its meaning. And they said, okay, tell us the dream. And the king said, no, you have to know what the dream is. That's a lot of pressure, right? And he's like, they're like, well, we can't, we, we don't know, we don't know. And he said, well, I will, I will cut you to pieces. I'll take your property. I'm going to punish you guys and burn your properties down. He was really upset. So the king goes out and he starts killing the wise men. And they get to Daniel's house. And Daniel says, hold on, don't kill us. Don't kill any more people. I will come and interpret the dream, okay? And so this is what's happening now. He's coming to interpret the dream in chapter 2, verse 31, Okay? O king, here's the dream. You were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watch while the stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet and the iron and the clay and broke them in pieces, okay? And then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried it away. Now, let's go down to um, verse 36. Here's the interpretation that Daniel gives about the dream that he just used the word of knowledge to, to give to the king. Look what he says in verse 36. This is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and he has made you ruler over all of them. You are this head of gold. He must have felt pretty proud about that. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all things. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything and is like iron that crushes. That kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. All right? And then when you saw the feet, the toes, partly of the potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. 
And then verse 43, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And these are the days of the king. So he's given the interpretation. So we're going to bring up a PowerPoint and just look at this briefly. Okay, so the head of gold uh, represents Babylon. So this was for Nebuchadnezzar, which was the ruling world power from 605 to 539 BC. This is Babylon and was distinguished for its riches and its splendor. So it's a head of gold. The chest of silver represents the Medo-Persia, the ruling world empire from 539 to 331 or 331 BC. And it was not as great as Babylon, this empire, so it was made out of silver instead of gold. This is the interpretation. The third and bronze represents Greece, the dominant world ruler from 331 to 168 BC. Again, bronze was less value than silver, yet more enduring. And the legs of iron represented the Roman Empire, which enjoyed world supremacy from 168 AD to 476. And Rome was extremely strong, and in the history books is referred to as strong as iron. Very strong empire. But what happened was um, the feet that were partly iron and partly clay represented the divided empire. So when Rome, and Rome fell apart, it was divided into ten tribes, which is now known as um, modern Europe. And it's interesting to note that the European Union does divide into ten different districts. And so we see that the last government will be a unity of ten kings, which represent the ten toes, right? And they're going to rule over the earth. And so this is the end time scenario. And I wanted to draw you some pictures here. Can everybody see this board here? Okay, hopefully you can. So I'm going to try to draw this for you. So I want you to imagine that you are looking from a bird's eye view at the ocean, looking down. Okay? And so up until about the last 20 years, these represent boats on the ocean. Each boat that's on the ocean here represents a country. So here we can have America, you have China, you know, you have Sweden, whatever. You can, there's a lot of countries. But each country operated independently from one another, okay? Um, every country had an economy, has an economy, right? It has its own economy, has its own currency. I'll put an E there. It had, you want to write this for me, Camilla? Yeah, I think so, but... Go ahead. Uh, each country has its own uh, economy. It has its own currency. It has its own captain, which really speaks of the governing system, how the government runs in that country. It has its own cultures, usually has its own religion, its own beliefs. And so here we have this bird's eye view. And so you have, you have America, you have Canada, you have Sweden, you, know, you have uh, Australia, you have different countries. They all operate independently of one another. And the beautiful thing is there can be a form of unity where there's what we call free trade from country to country, uh, and, and that's the picture of what we would call nationalism, okay? And so when Donald Trump was in power, whether you like him or not, what he wanted to do, he wanted to make America great again, right? Let's make America great. Let's get the economy working. Let's get, and, let's, and he wanted to see other countries do the same. The China's got to work on their economy and Sweden and other countries. Make, your, make your, your country great again. Live by the Constitution, the laws of your country. Nationalism, nationalism, nationalism. And so there's free trade. All this is working. But... In the last 20 years, it actually started after World War II, there was a new model, not nationalism, but, but we call it 
globalism. No, I'm actually good. Thank you. And, and the difference between nationalism and globalism is nationalism is independent countries with their own captain, government, economy, laws, religions, okay? And everything's unique. You go to China, it's unique, right? Independent. But in globalism, the plan is every country needs to be moved into the globalist structure. So every country now becomes a cabin or a room in the ocean liner. Okay? So what happens in this system now where uh, here we have Canada here in this big ship. We have America and, you know, we can go, you know, Europe. We can go through all the countries. You know there's a lot of them. Uh, they come into the ocean liner. It doesn't work for each country to have their own, you know, governing system. China can't come in here. I want to be part of the system. I'm going to be communist, and America's going to be a republic, and we're going to be a democracy. And No, you have to find a, a common governing system, right? You need one common governing system. You need one common currency, right? You need to have a one-world religion because that's the only thing that works in Carnival Cruise. If a country becomes a cabin instead of an independent nation. And so that's what's been happening. And you say, well, I don't know if I see it that way. Well, I'm reading a book by Klaus Schwab, who is the president of the World Economic Forums, and he advises the World Banks and the governments at the G8 summits. And this is the model that he gave in his book. We have to move countries from being independent to, into this globalist structure, all right? And so we want to look at what the Scripture says about this. How many know the Scripture guides us? Amen? So we're going to move through this here. All right. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And in the book I'm reading, which was really interesting, he said COVID-19 has been amazing to help us move towards the globalist system because democracy does not work in this system. And he gives an example. He says, if there's a law that needs to be passed and it takes uh, a democratic process of weeks and sometimes months to pass a law because it has to be voted in the Senate and the House and all of these procedures have to be done. In the meantime, 200,000 people die. So we have to be able to make decisions quick. So we need to get rid of democracy so that we can make decisions very quickly, right? And it's like, well, how convenient is that to get rid of democracy? Wow. So let's go to Daniel chapter 7. Are you guys following? Am I, is this okay? Daniel chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Daniel is having another vision here, and it's, it's tying into the vision of the, the statue here. And in verse 7, it says, After this I saw in night's visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it. And the beasts, of course, represent kingdoms, right? It had ten horns, so now we have ten horns. In the other vision, it was ten toes, okay? So just keep that in mind. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one that came up from among them. Uh, and three of the first horns were plucked out of its roots. And this horn had eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words and blaspheming the saints. And so now we're going to go to the next passage is Daniel 7, verse 23. And here's the interpretation of the fourth beast. 
guys ready? So the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and it shall devour just one country, the whole earth. It's a one-world system. Trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are the ten kings. So this globalist structure here will have ten kings. We'll put ten kings. There's four, and we'll put four over here, and we'll add two more. So there's ten kings that are going to try to run the global structure. How many know there's going to be, it's not going to stick, it's not going to work, it's going to be like, it's going to have the strength of iron, but it's going to be like clay, and it's not going to work, it's not going to, because you can't have ten people trying to run the ship, right? You go on an ocean liner and try to run that with ten people, forget it. And so, so here we go. So this is the last kingdom, and here's the interpretation, okay? In verse 23, the last and final kingdom, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample and break it in pieces. The ten horns are the ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise up after him. He shall be different from the first one, and shall subdue three kings. So one king is going to rise up and get rid of these three kings, and he's going to take their place, and he's going to begin to sway the world into the whole time of the tribulation, okay? So we're going to move on here. And he shall intend to change times and laws, and the saints shall be given into his hand, okay? Now, I'm going to bring you guys to Revelation chapter 13, and I'm going to give you the same scenario, are you guys okay? You following me? Revelation chapter 13. Okay, Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. It says, I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. So he's, John is, is getting a revelation, the same thing Daniel had. And on his horns, ten crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth was like a mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him the power, and his throne was great with authority. All right? Now bear with me just for a few minute, more minutes. Go to verse um, 15. Verse 15. This is the interpretation of what was happening here. The be, this this uh, prophet was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the beast to be killed. And he caused both great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their forehead. Say right hand and forehead. So it's very specific, okay? And, and that no one would buy or sell except the one he has a mark or the number of the beast or the number of his name, okay? And then he says here is wisdom, the number is 666. It's the number of a man. Now why am I explaining this to you? You say that's a lot, okay? The reason why I'm explaining this to you cuz I've had a lot of people asking me about the mark of the beast. And I want you to know that the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. People are talking about them. it could be the mark. It's not the mark of the beast, and I'm going to tell you why in a moment. Neither is this vaccine passport that they're wanting to push into society. That's not the mark of the beast. But I'll tell you what it is. It's preparing everyone to accept it. 
down the road. And whether it's a year from now, 10 years from now, 100 years or next month, I don't know when it is, but it's preparing people to be open to the fact that, hey, in order for me to buy or sell, I have to have this with me. And, and it's going to be... And, and so here's the thing. I know it's not the mark of the beast because, number one, there will be an image that all must worship. And in some countries, if you go to some countries that are especially communist dictator countries, you walk in and if you pass a picture of the, their leader, you have to bow or you have to acknowledge or you can get in trouble. Okay? And there will be an image. There will be someone who's in power, and we know him as the Antichrist, where we're going to have to, to show reverence to and honor as Lord. And, and so that's the first sign, okay? We have to recognize that, okay? And, and number two, he will cause all to receive a mark on their right hand and their forehead, okay? So, so we're being prepared. We're being uh, groomed a little bit for this because, you know, Satan in the end will achieve temporary unity of all the nations, but the federation will be very brief. And in a short time, the elements composing this union will again you know, come to an end, this prophecy is telling us that everything is going to crumble. So you need to make up your mind today. I have to make up my mind. Am I going to be a Jedi or a stormtrooper? Amen? Because we can prolong this process by being aware, because I think the time shouldn't be now. I think all the prophets are saying we need to push back the agenda of the enemy. See, Satan wants to move this agenda forward very quickly. Amen? And so as I was praying about this week, the Lord started showing me this, okay, and say, tell my people that the stage is being set for the Antichrist. But our righteous ambassadors of Christ, we can change the timeline. We can. How do you do that? By prayer, by being an ambassador, getting out and getting focused on telling people, be reconciled to God. Don't get focused on everything the world is focused on. Don't get caught up in accusation. Don't get caught up, well, the world's all caught up in who's vaccinated, who's not. Don't get caught up into that stuff. Preach the gospel. Focus on the kingdom. Share your faith. Stand up for your conscience. All of these things are important, right? But the most important thing is that we have a great awakening and that lives are changed by the power of God. You know, as I was preparing this, I, I really was brought back to when I was teaching in Bible school, revival history, and um, John Wesley was such an amazing man. I don't know if you know his, um, his life story, and I won't share it because it's very long, but um, when, he, when he was born, England was, it was in a mess. It, we're in darkness right now, but how many know that different times in history, there was darkness. It looked a little different, but it was there. And I want to just describe to you what was happening. In his time, in the 1700s, 1700s England was characterized with poverty, alcoholism, gin was popular, everyone drank gin. There's filthy living conditions. There's no running water or soap. Life expectancy was on average in the mid-40s. Diseases like smallpox and the plague had no cure. In the workplace, there was swearing, and the bosses and physically abused their employees. Like, can you imagine, right? Like, physically punched employees out, okay? Um, for fun, people loved to torture animals, and they would give babies gin to keep them quiet. There was very few schools. 
Uh, only the select rich people were educated. Murder and suicide were very common. There was, there was pubs on every corner. There was prostitution. It was, it was bad. And we think it's bad. It was bad then, too. And what he did was he said, I'm, I'm going to preach the scripture. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to start talking about a different kingdom. And he went into ministry and he started preaching the gospel. And this is what I want you to see what happened because I was just blown away as I was reading this again. As he was preaching the gospel, he would go into churches and he would say, I, I want to, you need to get saved. And the Bible says we're all sinners. And, and people would say, well, hold on a second. I'm not a prostitute. I'm not a sinner. No, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need to be cleansed. Oh, no, no, I'm not a tax collector. And there was that attitude in the church. So they kicked him out of the church because he was not preaching the politically correct message. So he preached in the fields, and up to sixty to 80,000 people would come to hear him preach because there was something in them saying, i got to get right with God. And, and revival broke out. A great awakening happened. Mayors started getting saved. You know, uh, politicians and police chiefs, everybody started getting saved. And as they transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son from the kingdom of darkness, politics changed. Amen. And so we need revival. We need God on the stage. Voting's important. Praying for, you know, that those things are very, very important. But we also need to remember, it's God that's going to make the change. Amen. Here's some of the persecution he endured. I want you to hear this. It's very important. Mobs would come to his services and attack his services. And he would be preaching and, and, and a st stones would be flying. And he'd get hit in the face with a stone. They, 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 he would wipe the blood and continue preaching without frowning. And, and this one, first service couldn't believe this one because it's horrible. But there was this common practice. They would take, I hate to say this, animals, cats and dogs, and they would tear them apart and throw pieces of dead animal at the preachers as they preach. Isn't that horrible? Like, who would do that in 2020? But they were doing it in the 1700s. There was corruption that was going on. And, and, and when I read about uh, William Booth, uh, founder of the Salvation Army, he would go down, he would leave with his, uh, his Salvation Army recruit preachers, and they'd go down the street, and people lived above the stores. Like, you know, 100 years ago, all these stores would have apartments above them, right? That was common. And people would take their piss pots and they would pour them out. That's what they were called. I'm not trying to be. And they would pour them out onto the Christians as they were walking by. And they would just, go, they would just keep loving the unchurched, keep loving the sinner, because they realized they were part of a different kingdom. And William Booth would come home, and it was common where he would come home, and Catherine, his wife, who we named our feeding program after, would meet him at the door, wipe the blood from his brow from being stoned on the way home, and he'd say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he says, I count it an honor to be persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. You say, why do you say that, Pastor? Well, because today we're so soft. We consider persecution when someone says, you're a hater. That's not persecution. We got we to gotta stop with the passivity and realize we got a, a message of love and hope and peace and kindness that God wants to reveal, and the devil ain't liking it. And so I want to encourage you. I think I felt to share this with you. There's been a lot of questions. This is where things are moving, and, and, and uh, this isn't here yet, but it's being established. And we need to be aware of that so we can stand with God.
Amen? So, know this, church. Persecution is a sign that we're on the right path. It really is. And Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? So, we are heading for a little bit of persecution, but we need to stand, and we have to stand for our freedom, for our rights, right? And I I said this is the first service. I don't ever want to hear the garbage the world spewing about the unvaccinated and the vaccinated and all that stuff. I believe people need to do what they feel is right in their conscience, and we need to love each other and let God figure the rest out. Amen? And and all that nonsense has got to stop in Jesus' name. And we have to move forward into the plan that God has for us. But we also have to fight to push this system back as much as we can. I was just informed that in September... Dr. Pat Francis, uh, as a pastor in Toronto, is holding a, a freedom rally uh, mid-September. I don't have the date yet. It's so new, I, ha- I don't have the date. What it is is she's actually invited the Muslims, the Sikhs, the Hindus. They, she invited every religion in Canada. and said, We're all going to be represented. And she said, make sure the churches come. We want to have the biggest representation because our, our government right now is, is wanting to push through a bill that will take away the charitable status of every charity that does not agree with the social agenda of the party, and particularly abortion. And that's happening right now as we speak. And if that bill goes through, we don't care because we can meet in homes and we, the church will still go. So we're not worried, amen? Say, I'm not worried. God, you can't shut down the church. But one of the benefits of the, being a charitable status is that you don't have to pay taxes, which includes property tax. And I got friends, churches in Toronto, 15 acres, most of it parking, right, in the middle of downtown Toronto. And when they're told you have to pay pay property tax of $50,000 a month, churches are going to shut down across the nation if this bill goes through. But that's a plan of the enemy. But God's people, we can rise up and we can pray and we can vote, right? And, And we can stand for truth. And we know that no matter what happens, we got God. Amen? So I, I hope I didn't give you too much of a heavy, but God is just saying, you got to tell my people, this is where we're at. But you know what? I read the back of the book, and we win. Amen? God is good. So be encouraged, and um, just recognize that We, we, as underdogs, if you feel you're an underdog, you have a voice and you need to stand up and let your voice be heard. And make sure you're involved when it's time to vote. Like, make sure. That's very, very important right now. We need to pray, but if you don't vote, your prayer is not going to do much good. So why don't we stand? We're going to pray. And uh, did you want to share anything, Camilla? Or? I shared in the first service just an, a word of encouragement that we got in 2013. When God said to us, before we had even gone into this season, he said in a prophetic word, that, or prophetic presbyter that we were in with Prophet Gary Hayes and uh, Bob Isabel, they were just sharing a word of encouragement. They were talking about the context was evangelism. And they said that, um, these words Bob said, 
He said, when the whole world is upside down and everything is out of order, remember that it's a setup by Almighty God to bring in the harvest of souls. So we know that, you know, it's easy for us to get comfortable in this world. And I don't know about you, but in this season, my love and my longing has increased for, for Christ's return. And it's sad to say that sometimes it takes a bit of shaking and stuff like that with our comfortable stuff. But let it be a reminder to focus in on the, the great things that are coming as well and to share the gospel with our the people down here, you know, and ask God to fill our hearts with love. Sometimes I need, well, I need God to fill my heart with love and compassion because sometimes it's easy to just get tired and think, oh, well, they're making their choice, they're making their bed. But I'm praying that God will stir up my heart and break my heart for what breaks his because I need it and I believe you need it too because that's the most important. This is a passing by, we're going into eternity and and we want to make sure that we share the gospel, the good news with as many as we can and pray for each other. Pray for our leaders. We need prayer. We need, you know, all the pastors need prayers, all the politicians. It's not an easy day to be uh, somebody to lead, but we believe that God is with us and we want to stay humble because none of us have the complete picture. We're all a part of the puzzle. We're a part of God's body. Well, God bless you. If anyone wants any prayer, we'll be here for prayer and uh, have an amazing week. God bless. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.